hunting for hidden gold. Timber wolves, a Rocky Mountain blizzard, and a mine cave-in are only a few of the perils that Frank and Joe Hardy encounter during their search for the principal members of a notorious gang responsible for a payroll robbery. In the old Montana mining camp of Lucky Lode, a piano-playing ghost haunts the long-abandoned dance hall. Eerie blue lights flash from the hilltop cemetery in the dark of night. How are these events related to the men who kidnapped the boys in Chicago? And whatever happened to Bart Dawson, who seemingly deserted his gold mining partners 25 years ago? Clue by clue, Frank and Joe cleverly fit into place the scattered pieces of this dangerous puzzle and come up with the astonishing solution. The loose tourniquet they invented. The loose tourniquet? Loose tourniquet. Because regular tourniquets are uncomfortably tight. So you do a loose tourniquet. This feels like isn't a tourniquet. (laughs) No, not so much. This is the Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast. I'm Charles Wefso. Each week, we sit down with actors, writers, and comedians to talk about a book in the Hardy Boys Mystery Series. Then, we have a local bartender mix us up a custom cocktail to sip while we read. It really helps us brush over some of the logical inconsistencies in the book. This episode's drink is provided by Priscilla Jerez at Tui's Off Colfax, and it's so sweet, it'll satisfy even Chet Morton's sweet tooth. This is the Hardy Boys Drink Book number five, Hunting for Hidden Gold. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast. I am here with Jess Robley, writer and performer, to discuss hunting for hidden gold. Thank you for joining me, Jess. No problem. Jess, what did you think of the book? I thought it brought back a lot of memories from my childhood, reading the counterpart to the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew. Nancy Drew. Did she get shot at nearly as much as these as these boys did? No, I remember a lot of talk of bicycles and her slender build. Oh, all right. Well... I think that these boys have a slender build, not Chet, but most of the rest of them do. But other than that, this one is high-octane adventure. This is the peak of adventure for the series so far. Have you read any Hardy Boys books before? No, this is my first time. Okay, this is a great Hardy Boys book to start. This one, they broke all the formulas, which I really like. So I shouldn't bother with any of the others. Nope, this is the last one you should ever read. First and last. Lucky you. (laughs) So Jess, what else do you have going on right now? Do you have anything you want to plug? I'm in a show in Aspen, Colorado through August 12th. It's called Sex with Strangers. And I hear that you, something with a younger man? Yeah, I get to something with him a lot. Nice. He's 27. I'm 40. Mm -hmm. I'm not supposed to use my tongue. Those are the rules. You don't want to get pulled into an office. Well, he doesn't use his tongue. I just follow his lead. Oh, good call. You You don't want to be first. Before we get too far into this, uh, a little note about the Hardy Boys series. They were written originally in 1927 by Franklin W. Dixon. Franklin W. Dixon is better known as the inventor of the bottle opener. The books were heavily rewritten in 1950s because they were really racist and really non-PC. And when the 1950s think that you're really racist, you've got problems. So these are updated. They're still really fun. Um, We're going to use the revised editions because they're easier to get a hold of and a lot cheaper. So, uh, yeah, let's jump right into the story. Pretty exciting beginning. If you don't know that the boys are going to get shot at in the story, they, they dispel those notions right away. Opening scene, first thing that happens, Joe almost dies. Right. They're out with their business partners. Yes. Their whole business is making a cabin. Oh, that, I was really confused about that. They said they, Chet, Biff, Frank and Joe all pooled their money together and they're going to go build a cabin. And I think there was a fifth guy. Tony Preto, probably. Tony Preto, their attempt at diversity, I felt. They also have Joel Cohen who sometimes shows up. 
one thing I've said before is that the way that you know that these are revised is that, yeah, they'll mention that Joel Cohen is Jewish, but they don't mention it every time you see him. So that's oh. how you know that it's... Uh, like, um, not look out. <laughs> no, it's not Just like one look out. out. It's like their Jewish friend, Phil Cohen. Oh, right. But their plan is they're all going to pull their money together and go to a random spot in the wilderness to build a cabin, which is, I think, totally illegal. Well, yeah, and I wondered about the business. Mm -hmm. I was like, they're business partners. They're going to make a cabin. What's the income? Rent it? Right. I don't know if there was Airbnb in 1958. But they they were pioneers. Yeah, exactly. That's what the business venture was. Now I want to know what the 1958 version of Airbnb was. Sleep with me, girl. You can stay at this cabin. (laughs) Yeah, that was probably the rules. There's some hunters out there while they're out in the woods, and they almost hit Joe like an inch from Joe's head. The boys handle it pretty well, and they basically go yell at the hunters, and then they go to their cabin, and the boys are already informing their friends that they would love to camp with them, but their dad's investigating a mystery, and at any second, they could be called away, and their friends, I think, are waiting patiently for that to happen. I don't want to harp on Tony Preto, uh-huh. but I think he double exposits that. He's like, wow, you guys probably aren't going to be here very long, because probably you're going to get called away on a mystery. Twice. He says that. Yeah, I'm sure he says that twice. Well, in the last one, he was all about how girls can't hike and stuff, and then he broke his ankle. As soon as they make this claim, somebody does show up and tells them, you know, your dad, you got to hop in this Jeep. We got to ride to town. Your dad needs you. And the Jeep crashes. Lenny Haskins. Lenny Haskins. Are you going to remember all these people's names? Well, I thought about them. I was feeling sorry for Lenny because he was just... They were like, sorry we wrecked your Jeep, Lenny. Walk back to town for another car. We're going to keep going. I know. And then they find, they're headed back to the cabin and they find a guy who has been shot by the hunters. Right. And he's just lying in the brush, I guess. And they drag him back to the cabin to take care of him. Yeah. They loosely wrapped his leg with a tourniquet. Yeah. They don't want to wrap it too much. It's not bleeding a lot. It's like in case they needed a tourniquet. And then Chet makes him soup and they won't let him do anything until he eats all the soup. Well, Chet's in charge of all the food things because they want he, you to know he's plump. Yeah, he's a plump boy. We That's important him. because also in Nancy Drew, there's a plump friend, mm-hmm. Bess. Oh, okay. So I was interested that there was a plump friend. They were like, we need a foil to these very trim, fit men. Yes, exactly. Though they didn't describe Frank, which upset me. But then I learned just through action, I learned who Frank who was. Who Frank was, yeah. I, I'm like, oh, Frank's tough. Oh, these are the toughest boys. So after they save this guy, they find out. Oh, a bunch of stuff from him. They find out that this is the guy their dad was looking for, apparently. They told their friends they were going camping. They were actually just on a mission for their dad looking for this guy out in the woods. Yeah. It's just easy for them because they're hardy boys. Yeah. They just, wherever they go, clues, like, clues pop up. Right. So this guy tells them a whole story about how in Montana he was part of a group of people who found a bunch of gold. And then they got ambushed by Black Pepper, who's a gangster with a great name. They all got caught, but one guy flew away with the gold, and they never saw him again, and... They just knew they weren't going to escape with the, their gold with, and their skins. So they put the gold on the plane, and the guy flew away, and they never saw him again. Bart Dawson. And they're like, Bart Dawson wouldn't have betrayed us. So they race to catch a plane, and they... I love the... Oh, I love how they always talk about how the meals are served. Yeah, they hop on the plane, and they're like, we almost left without you. And then they serve them a hot meal, and then the boys doze for like four hours. Yeah, and that's also the appearance of the third woman. We almost left without you, but she's welcoming. She is. She's nice. So you're right. They've already left Bayport, which means that they left the guy who was injured. They just dropped him off with their mom and their aunt. I, I think there's a lot of learning experiences in this book for the boys, but when they have their layover in Chicago is the strongest learning experience from a children's book I've ever had. 
They step outside because they've got like three hours. So they're like, let's explore Chicago, um, which you could do not leave an airport. If you have a layover, you will not get back in in time. But they leave and there's a guy outside and he's like, hey, Frank and Joe. And they're like, yeah. And he's like, I'm a friend of your dad's. Hop in. And they're like, um, okay. And they get in his car. Well, they were skeptical. They asked. Who's my dad staying with? And he told him the name of the guy that he's staying with. I guess, I guess. And they were like, I guess that's enough. And they get in the car and immediately they they get grabbed and driven out into the suburbs and thrown in this house and tied up. It's really scary. And they locked get in snatched. a closet. Locked in a closet. Oh and yeah, that's right. They The criminals they leave- describe it before they do it. That's it- an interesting part of it. It's like, I think that we should lock them in that closet and then we'll also lock the hall door for extra. Yeah. And then they leave all their belongings on a table right outside the closet. So when they get out of the closet, they have all their stuff back, which is like a video game when you get locked in jail and you get out and there's like a treasure chest right outside the cell where you're like, oh, all my stuff's in here. Convenient. Right. They run outside. They manage to get out of the house once they escape the closet and there's a taxi and they jump in the taxi and the taxi's like, okay, and starts driving. And then they quickly realize that the taxi driver is not the same guy who his name is on the taxi, like his ID picture. And he immediately turns them back around and take them to the house. But then they dive out and they get in another taxi. Yeah. And Just, they, they're taxis everywhere. It happened in moments. I was like, I mean, that might have been a lightly skimming moment. For I know, me. but it was. Confused. And then I was like, wait, they're in another taxi. When did All that happen? Like, but it yeah. was like they get out magic. an intersection and they get in another taxi. They get to the airport. Uh, the airport. They get on their next flight, and no problem. They have a nice hot lunch. The Joe's hot lunch. Some more. Yeah, they get more food. They kind of. I was thinking that's stupid, but then I thought, I guess they felt obligated to let us know when they were eating. There's no other like tracking of time meals are the only way that you're allowed to track when things happen and sometimes you're like wow it seems like the boys haven't eaten all day and they're like well no now it's just time for lunch so right a hot dinner a, a hot, hot lunch dinner, a hot lunch they land in montana and a guy has a helicopter right bob dodge bob dodge one of the best names uh yeah they all have really good wild west names the boys are pretty clever in this situation though with the helicopter and this was really intense they see somebody messing with the helicopter, and they're like, hey, just to be safe, let's do this really weird thing. Let's check this door out. I think Frank chuckled at one point. He's like, <laughs> I don't think we've been booby-trapped. <laughs> and then, Well, let's check it out. Let's check it. And they pull the door back with a rope. Yeah, standing to the distance. side. And someone has wired a shotgun to go off when they opened the... That's a taste of the West. That's a taste of the West for these boys. That's right. And they're heading to the West. I would never get on that helicopter. Because then they're like, we checked out the rest. It seems okay. And they get in. I'm like, no, that thing's going to crash in 10 minutes. But it doesn't. But Charles, they checked it. Anyway, they finally get to this tiny little town. It's like by a ghost town. A lucky load. And uh, <laughs> a, real, load. a real lucky load. Better on paper. Yeah, definitely. And they find out that Fenton fell off a horse, I guess. He was in, he was chasing some bandits. Yeah. And he fell off a horse, and now he's all laid up at some guy named Hank's house. He followed a tough-looking guy. Yeah. He talked about tough-looking people. Big like, Al. When they're, when they're talking to Fenton, is this when the boulder happens? I they think, went to sleep. Oh, they go to sleep, and in the middle of the night, someone pushes a boulder from the top of the hill. This cabin sits at the bottom of the hill. The boulder rolls down, crashes through the wall... Tips the stove. Tips lights. the stove, starts a fire. Yeah, obviously boys can't catch a break. Right. But they paint. he paints a warning note, like, Hardy's beware. Get out of here. Yeah, on the boulder. How is he? How did he know what side of the boulder was going to land right side up? Like, Well, they rolled it back out of the house, which I thought was interesting because maybe it's blocking some wind. Yeah. But they were like, we're going to first, we'll things put first, a tarp. get it outside. The guy who owns the house is like, I'll fix that tomorrow. 
And when they got it outside, they noticed the that red has, Oh, so maybe they as they rolled it. That's my best guess. I like that you're already making excuses for this book. I'm on its side, Charles. That's true. You got to be on. on the side. You have to be on Franklin W. They're Dixon's side. They are programming me to be on their side at every turn. The next morning, they investigate the ghost town that's like nearby the actual town. And there's a crazy old guy living there. Ben Tinker. Ben Tinker. And Ben Tinker has lots of crazy ideas, but mostly he hears ghost piano. Blue light at the cemetery There's a blue light at the cemetery, and he believes that there's a ghost of the guy who used to play the piano in the concert hall. Right. And, you know, Ben's your classic. He's your classic sage. Yeah, he's like like your Obi-Wan. Yeah, he's just got the the rifle sticking out between the boards and his old... Yeah. Nevada home with the keep out sign and oh, everybody yeah, hates right. him. It's not Nevada. It's Montana. but Montana home, yeah. It makes me think of when I've been to Nevada. Yeah. And, people and you know people rifles. hate you and they don't want you near their property. Yeah. Very clear. They make it very clear. And yeah, they go into town to ask about all the stuff the old crazy guy said and everybody in town says that he's an old crazy guy and not to listen to him. I think we should check in with our bingo card. Is this stuff that we've already said? This is stuff that's already happened. Oh, already happened chronologically to chronologically this point. To this so the point. boys have gotten tied up. I got oh, that Oh, definitely. One. Like right away. I think the boys have left Bayport. Yeah, that's actually pretty exciting. Attempted murder. Absolutely attempted murder with that shotgun. An actual injury? I feel like that happened. Fenton has an actual injury. His ribs yeah. are broken. Yeah, I think we're good fist fight probably. I mean, when they escape, they jump Yeah, that, I right? think fist fight's fair. All right, great. Oh, they see the blue light. That's what happens next. Yes. They've heard about this ghost. Everyone says he's crazy, but they immediately see the blue light up in the cemetery that night. Right. They go to check it out. It's the gang meeting? A couple of the thugs. Ben Tinker's on the level. Ben Tinker, we know this. Right. Yes, we find out he's on the level. It seems like it's a signal. Yeah. The blue light. They're like... They're like, it's not a ghost. It's a signal. Why would you use a blue light? The Shayadoy. Yeah, exactly. It's a really prominent location in the town. Everyone can see it. There are two guys who talk to each other. The Howling Wind blocks out one of their voices right but they find out that one of them's name is slip gun yeah slip gun that's the biggest piece of information yeah and brady's mind brady's mind the shadow of the bear all these clues so they follow one of the guys leaving yeah they follow they think they're following slip gun slip gun which i love that name and they lose him yeah they, they lose and track they're of followed. Him. and they can tell that they're being followed too it's a whole it's a whole following situation double follows i wanted to talk about them going to investigate the ghost piano. Yes. And this is a really... Uh, Very creepy, they say. They go into this abandoned concert hall where the ghost piano has been heard, and they hear the piano. That's why they go check it out. This part scares me. It was like a little jump scare. They're like, the piano is playing itself. And they go to check it. Rats. Rats. They open the lid and rats pour out of it, which is really... Pretty creepy. Wonderful. Pretty creepy. For Pete's sake! He burst out as several rats scampered out of the piano, jumping down onto the floor and scurried away. The boys laughed heartily. There goes Tinker's ghost music, Frank said. Talented rats! Joe grinned. Suddenly, from the direction of the doorway, they heard the sidewalk creak. The boys whirled as a low, flat voice snarled. You kids have been asking for it! Frank and Joe barely had time to glimpse ahead, masked by a ghost-like hood with eye holes, above the swinging doors. Then a gloved hand jerked into view, clutching a short-barreled revolver. The thumb cocked back the hammer. There was a burst of flame. Bang! Great example of sound effects in the book, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of sound effects. Crash, bang, smack, clud. Uh, Yeah, it's like like watching Batman. Yeah. 
And then a really scary scene happens. Really high stakes compared to the previous books. They get chased through a ghost town by a man, a masked man who's firing like wildfire at them, trying to kill them. And they're separated. They've done this instinctively. Yeah. They've divided as a strategy. And yet, this is the first experience I've had with Frank and Joe being separate. Oh, yeah. It's scary anytime it happens. Frank's on his own. But then, as I noticed throughout, he powers through. Every He's like, I'm going to hurl myself at this man like a battering ram. I'm going to grab the edge of the roof. Oh, yeah. And he, swing up to the snowy roof. Yeah, he gets up onto the roof of one of the buildings of a ghost town. And he's, they're saying the shingles are falling off and it's sagging underneath him. And he digs his fingernails into the edge. Right. He leaps from one roof to another. And then the guys were on the roof behind him and pulls out his gun to shoot Frank, like, point blank from one roof to another. And Joe tackles him at the at the leg, comes out of nowhere. Pulls his leg. He doesn't know it's Joe at first. No, but then, then the guy falls off the roof and the gun clatters and they get away. It's really high stakes. And Frank's worried. This isn't the first time I noticed anyone was worried. Anyone was worried at any point. In he was worried. He's like, my options ha are dwindling. Yeah, and I have no idea where Joe is. And this guy's got a gun. One thing is that the... Big Al, the criminal, actually all the criminals in this book, they don't draw their weapons before they announce their presence, which is kind of a problem. They always say that they're there and then they go to reach for their gun, giving the boys ample time to make a decision. You guys have been asking for it. Now I'll get my gun. After this, I would probably have cried for about a half hour, but the boys don't. The guy gets away. Somebody saves the day. That happens a lot in this book. Bad things happen and they recover Way too fast. I'm like, like, no, Wolverine. no, you, you boys should just sit down and have a cry because that was the scariest thing that's ever happened to anyone. Yes. Oh, uh, God, yes. Roof jumping, all that stuff. I think, oh, I think as they go, they're they leaving. Go back, they go back and they find Jim Burke, right? And then Bob Dodge walks in. Yeah, they like see. Because they're, they're like, he had time enough to change his wet clothes and take off his hood. Yeah. But also Bob Dodge could have. Yeah, and, and it goes back and forth the whole book. They seem to hate each other. There's one difference between the two, though. Their dad likes Bob Dodge. I thought it was syphilis. Oh, no, one of them has <laughs> one of them is syphilis. I don't know. I, I miss just... that. Some pages must have stuck together. They talked about <laughs> syphilis because Hardy Boys would have explained way too much about syphilis. They do a lot of first aid, so I'd have been curious. Yeah, what, what their they, first aid what their was. Their treatment was for syphilis. Uh, no, their dad is friends with Bob Dodge, so they think he probably can't be the guy because he has a he's a good judge of character. Yeah, their dad's a good judge of character. Oh, they find the gun the next morning and they go to explore Brady Mine, and this is a moment where they're talking to their laid up dad. His dad's like, you guys should go explore some of the abandoned mines, which I grew up in the Black Hills. Do not go in an abandoned mine. Yeah, straight up, don't go don't in Don't walk one. around anywhere where you think an abandoned mine might be. I'm you'll not fall even interested. Who's interested in an abandoned mine? It's ridiculous, but you're that's the plan. You're going to see death. That's, that's all the plan. you'll see. Yeah, you'll see death. You'll see dead animals that fell down there, dead people that fell down there. Okay, so okay. the boys go out to Brady Mine to investigate the clue that they got when they overheard the people. And they go into the mine, they can see that there's like... Out of one of the timbers of the mine, a crowbar has been shoved into it. And painted on the crowbar is a clue that's like AL-5-X-blah-blah-blah. And they're like, oh, it's a clue that one of the criminals left for another. Red paint. Yeah. So Joe gets a hand on it and is trying to work it loose so he can, so he can take it with him. Hey, be careful. Frank warned. This tunnel isn't shored up too solidly long here. Don't worry. I can get the bar out. Joe grunted, heaving hard. Uh. It's coming now. The rotten wood crumpled and shredded as the crowbar gouged into it. 
Suddenly, as Joe gave one last hard yank, there was a loud splintering noise. The ceiling sagged. Look out! Frank cried out. He grabbed Joe's arm, and both boys leaped ahead in the nick of time. A split second later, the tunnel caved in. The moment he starts yanking on it, Frank's like, hey, Joe, Joe, it's really in there. And then it's like... They the get boys dash to safety. Tons of earth and rock come pouring down where they're standing. The passageway rumbled and thundered with a deafening impact. And Joe says, good grief. Frank then asks Joe, he's like, well, you've got that crowbar at least. Now we can dig our way out. Joe's like, I dropped it. Sorry, I dropped it. It's buried. So they're trapped in this cave. They f- smell a breeze, feel a breeze or whatever yeah. near the back of the cave. So they start heading back that direction. They overhear people outside. They can hear people outside who are apparently the, there was a booby trap. Oh, somehow they get the jump. I don't remember how they do this. They're like... Slim and Jake, they feel like a couple of buffoons. You know, yeah, they're they're not... They're getting by. They mess up quite a bit. But they did dupe them pretty well. Brady's mind, they dropped yeah. some things. I'm pretty... That was pretty smart how I dropped the thing about Brady's mind, would it? Yeah, I guess it was smart. They trapped the boys for a minute. And then there's a horse chase in the mountains. The boys get on their horses. They get chased by these guys. They race home and immediately decide they're going to check out... They overheard something about Windy Peak. That's the next place they're going to check out. Even though the last one was a ruse, this one's not going to be. Right. So they go home, eat dinner, sleep, get up, eat breakfast, and head out for Windy Peak. Uh, Let's check with Bingo again. No disguise. I don't see a disguise. There's no disguises. Definitely a red herring, Brady mine, and the rats in the piano. A ghost? question uh, in quotes oh yeah we definitely that, right? a ghost in quotes it's when something seems to be a ghost but is not a ghost i i'm afraid we still haven't popped into a minority i think you shouldn't hold your breath hi everyone sorry for the interruption one of my favorite things that i get to do is write for an all-ages show that jess created called siren song a pirate's odyssey at buntport theater for all ages Jess Robley, Mitch Slevick, Jack Wefso, and myself write a new episode every month telling the continuing adventures of a bumbling castaway, a mischievous god, and a pirate with a lot to prove. If you like all-ages theater, if you like pirates, if you like this show, please go online to buntport.com and make a donation. Just put Siren Song in the description. Thank you so much. It's very much appreciated. The new season of Siren Song premieres in October. Can't wait to see you there. Thanks, folks. Let's get back to the show. So let's jump back into the story. We've had an animal. Oh, yeah, the rats. Horses, rats. Horses. There's tons of animals in this one. I added that when I had not yet seen an animal in any of the Hardy Boys books. Right. Well, this. And this one is the West. Yeah. Full of animals. It's a whole new breed. The boys get their horses. They head up Windy Peak. As soon as they get to the bad park, the crooks start a landslide. They're on Ambush Pass. Yeah. Ambush Trail. Bad news. A- ambush Trail. That's right. Well, Why? of course it is. Yeah. It's the only trail. It's going to be the Ambush Trail. The shale is loose. They fall into a frozen river. They fall into a river. fall too. It's terrible. Most of their provisions were gone, as well as their tent and other camp equipment. But they had blankets, towels, spare clothing, fishing gear, compass, matches, and some food. Luckily, everything had been wrapped in waterproof wrapping. So only their tent and other camp equipment was gone. But wait, blankets, fishing gear, that's camp equipment. They had some oatmeal with apricots from their scanty supplies. And they catch the biggest fish ever. They had a great meal. Yeah, and they're trapped down in this canyon now. Uh, yeah. They find the shadow of the bear. That's pretty cool. They find a rock that looks like the next day, I think, after they camp. They find a rock that looks sort of like a bear, and they realize that as the sun sets, it'll project like a shadow of a bear. Shadow of the bear. Here's what's weird to me is the the rock already looks like a bear. Yeah, why couldn't that be the... Enough. 
Shadow of the bear. It's a shadow that looks like a bear. It's the shadow it's, of the bear. Because it's a time thing as well. Is when the bear appears on the rock wall is when the meeting is. I might have skimmed that part. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, I read about that. I feel like they inferred that. All mm-hmm. I heard was that there was shadow of the bear. Whatever. Anyway, they just wait around. Over here, the bad guys again. The bad guys keep getting together and confessing stuff. Yeah. In fr- in, within earshot of the boys. They find out that Big Al is looking for the crash plane. Yes, that's where we hear about the plane. Yeah, that, that the, plane the plane that that had the gold in it from earlier probably crashed. And he tells Slipgun to go kill Fenton Hardy. Yeah. And Slipgun gets on his horse and races back to town to kill Fenton Hardy. And the boys get on their horses and they race after him and beat him by a mile. Right. Well, what, what? do you expect? What do you expect, Charles? They're the Hardy boys. Who are you dealing with? The Hardy boys. They get back to the house where Fenton is staying and... Everybody's gone, and Fenton's been moved to the crazy guy's house because they were pretty sure somebody's going to try to put a hit on him. Fenton figured that out. He just assumed. He just assumed. Oh, there was a weird moment when they overheard the guys talking at the Shadow of the Bear where Slip Gun breaks his knife. Yeah. And it seems really weird. He's like, I broke my knife. And He's such like, a fuck up. They're like, shut up, Slip Gun. I mean, but all of them are kind of. Yeah, they're just. Big Al's just lightning into him. Yeah, and he should be. Oh, I liked Big Al's. Stupid cluck, Big Al continued to rant. I was interested in terms for criminals like Al Hoots. Yeah. And there were high binders. High binders. There were, there were some cool ones. Is, is Are they Al Hoots because they use Al Hoots as signals? That's what I assumed. Like, woo, woo. Yeah. Once they find out that their dad's safe, they wait for the killer to show up to, to like, get the jump on him. They're way ahead of the guy who was ahead of them. And they, I don't understand that at all. But then they see two guys fighting. Yeah. It's the two guys... That have been accused, that are possibly the killer, so it doesn't clear anything up. Bob Dodge, Jim Burke. Which one's the bad guy? One of them is the bad guy, yeah. And they're both Someone's really suspicious. Yeah. Jim Burke is extra suspicious. They, early on on the helicopter ride, Bob Dodge didn't answer one question. And then that, yeah, they were like, have you always lived out west? And he didn't answer. They were in a helicopter. Poison the well with me. Yeah, exactly. Ask him personal questions. So they help this guy. They bandage his face against some first aid. Yeah, they give him first aid. Jim Burke. And then they decide they're going to use themselves and the gold as bait. Obviously. So they go to like the shop where Jim Burke works because they're pretty sure that he's the bad guy. And they talk to him about a map they have. It's a fake map to where the treasure's supposed to be, the, the lost gold. And he buy, he immediately becomes a bad guy. He's oily. He gives him an oily smile. He's like, I won't tell anybody, boys. Yeah. They also find Jim Burke's broken knife, which suddenly made the whole broken knife, I broke my knife. Now it's a clue. Right. And they realize that he, definitely the guy, and he becomes just a bad guy after that. He has no conflicting morality. If there is a gun on the wall in this book, it's going to get used. It's going to get used. You know? Absolutely. If he trips on a root in the forest, later on they're going to need to know that. They're yeah, gonna they're going to be like, that, that root from before. So they have this trap, they, they get the gang to come out, follow this fake map, and then the cops get the jump on all the criminals, but Big Al gets away, and the boys just take off after him, despite the, like, desperate pleas of the police officers for them to, to not, they chase him into the woods. They're very strong boys. Yeah, and they're very confident boys. They take off after Big Al, and they chase him to a waterfall that's all frozen, and they realize he went under it, and they follow him under the waterfall. Into a secret passageway. A curtain of frozen a curtain ice. curtain of frozen ice. Uh, let's do another bingo check-in. Um, I don't think I've... Well, no, does the... I think the fish feast in Apricot... No, the fish feast, the apricot and oats, those were on the trail. That feels like a picnic. 
that's just dinner. Like, I feel like you have to go out specifically to eat somewhere. Oh, it's got to be like an outside. occasion with lemonade. And... But we didn't do that last time, so I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. Okay. I, I mean, These I'm not really lobbying with any logic here <laughs> because it doesn't help me win. The plane, we learned that Big Al sabotaged the plane. So that's sabotage. Though I would say that a cave behind a frozen waterfall is a secret passageway. Oh, I would agree with that. It's hidden. It's definitely a secret passageway. Uh, Yeah, so they sneak. They're wearing these heavy windbreakers and they're sneaking through the cave after Big Al, which I love that. The Right. Not sneaky. And they're in the snow and ice with windbreakers. Yes, with just windbreakers. They spend hours in this tunnel following him. I don't know why they don't turn around at any point. Finally, they reach the end of it. They come out. It's dawn. So it's been all night that they've been walking through this pitch black tunnel. And they're back on ambush trail. And as they step onto ambush trail, Big Al has been waiting for them. I guess he got, he's like, he's way ahead of them. There's no reason for him to wait. But he does a bunch of Looney Tunes stuff now. He's on a ledge up ahead of them. And like, first he lowers a rope and gets it around Joe's arms and like tries to yank Joe off the trail. Frank stops it. And then he pushes down some rocks on them. And like, he's just doing Wiley Coyote stuff. Does he lasso him? Yeah. Well, he says that he lowers a noose. And I'm like, oh, God, that's really scary. But then he gets it under Joe's arms. Right. Instead of under his neck. Or under Sounds like chin. maybe whoever wrote this doesn't know the West very well. D- yeah, they would not be going that's further. that's lassoing someone. Yeah. Yeah, they call it noosing him. Oh. <laughs> that's well, crazy to call that noosing you. They finally catch Big Al, and he's like cornered on this rock. You'll never take me alive! Screamed Big Al. He had reached the top of the huge boulder and now stood waving his arms against the leaden sky. The outlaw was jumping around as though half crazed. Try to get me! He challenged. Okay, the boys fall for that. They're like, we will try to get you. And then they can't find him. He jumps off the edge of the rock and he disappears and the boys completely lose him. They look over the edge of the cliff and they don't see anybody down there. But I've seen movies before. So I know that he swung under some, like a ledge. He's clearly landed on a spacecraft. Yeah. And he's going to rise up. He's going to rise up. Yeah, or he learned to fly as he jumped off the building. It's one one of those things going to happen. It's none of those things. The boys decide to camp now that they've lost Big Al. I don't know how they sleep, knowing that a man who's tried to murder them several times is around loose in the woods, but they don't even take watch. Right. They just both fitfully they sleep fitfully. Well, he's gone. They say he's gone. He's gone. Frank has a dumb plan. This is when I sort of lost my appreciation for Frank. Frank has this idea. They get They have their horses, and they also have Big Al's horse now. And they're like, let's tie them up at the fork. In the trail. And we'll sleep, you know, 50 feet away or 100 feet away, pretty far away. But if Big Al tries to get his horse, our horses will win it because they don't know him. And we'll come running. And then the next morning they get up and their horses are gone. And Frank's like, our horses must have become friends. Right. That's his... But how long have they really even known those horses? Right. They just like borrowed them. They might know Big Al better. But I like that that's Frank's... He's like, I'm so stupid. Our horses must have become friends overnight. They wouldn't have reacted to Big Al. I should have known that. And you're like... Frank, why would you think that the horses would become friends? Well, I wondered, like, do they ride horses in all the other books? No, this is the first time they've they ever ridden horses. They just ride horses. It's just like you get yeah. one and you ride it. You get, a, you get on a horse. And it goes. Why it goes do... wherever you want, on dangerous paths, into frozen waterfalls. Right. Yeah, are they on their horses? They leave their horses outside the waterfall. They say that, but then later when they get out of the end of the waterfalls, they, they have their horses again. Mm. Yeah, I it, guess it they was were sort friends. Of, it's sort of, again, like in a video game when you get off your horse when you go Treasure. in and then when you get out 
of the dungeon. Your horse is waiting on the at the exit because it knew where the exit was. So yeah, their horses are gone. They follow the horse prints to a cabin, which turns out to be the cabin of the guy who was shot at the very beginning of the book. Onslow. Onslow. Mike Onslow. So it's the cabin where they were camping when they found all the gold. But now the criminals are using that cabin as their hideout. As the boys approach, guess who comes out? Is it is it Bob Dodge? Bob Dodge is Bart Dawson. See, I thought that was a really nice connection with the yeah, BLD. Yeah, definitely. Turns out he got Fred Flintstone. So he was in a plane crash and got amnesia and lived an entire life as Bob Dodge, where he started a company and became a member of the community. I did not expect amnesia. That's because yeah. he can fly things. He flies a helicopter. He can right. fly a plane. He's like, oh, it really came to me. And so the other night when the boy saw that fight, and it was Jim Burke and Bob Dodge fighting, and Jim Burke hit him on the head with a flashlight, and that was enough to undo all the amnesia. But he lost all of his memories of all the time as Bob Dodge, which is really sad. He's like, I used to be 25 years younger than this. I feel like that plot line justified every soap opera amnesia story ever. That you can just like conk. Conk. That part's gone. Conk. That oh, part's switchies. gone. Now it's back. Yeah. And he tells the boys where he, where he left the gold. And Al is hiding outside the cabin and he hears. They chase after to go to the gully where they know the plane crashed. They're so fit. They're so fit. They're so live and full of energy. It's the amazing race. They could do it. They could win it all. There would be no challenge. They would be at the end of the amazing race. For days before the rest of the people. Halfway through this book, they finished The Amazing Race. They finished The Amazing Race, solving all the clues. As they're chasing Big Al, who they find out is also Black Pepper. Same guy. Right. Yeah. Not big a Al. big surprise. They're well, chasing him and Black they get... Black Pepper. Interesting name. Interesting name. I don't know what... Because he's coarse. He's spicy. While they're following him, Frank and Joe get separated again in a blizzard on horseback and can't find each other. I don't like it when they're separate. Me either, because it immediately becomes panic. And again, it follows Frank. And Frank can't find Joe anywhere and finds like an outcropping and makes a fire hoping that he'll see the light and hears him like distantly calling and decides like even though I know it's the wrong thing to do, I'm going to go out. And so he goes out and he gets him and his horse and he pulls him back and they like have a moment where they just like make themselves some food and dry off. And I'm like, no, you guys, you cry for 30 minutes. At least. Are you kidding me? You both almost just. You go into shock maybe. Yeah. Just go into shock They talk about how while. they're both like so cold they can hardly breathe. It's sub-zero temperatures. They're clearly in windbreakers. And we never hear what Joe was doing all that time. He was wandering around looking for Frank. That's all it was. He was looking for light. He, th- he hoped Frank found a place and made a fire. And when he was That's chased. That's the plan. When Frank was chased by the gunman back in the town, what was Joe doing? Joe was trying to flank and get to the other side and hear where Frank was so he could sneak up behind the gunman. You're really he, inside their heads. They talk about all this stuff. It's, it sounds like they, it sounds like they share a bedroom. The teenage boys share a bedroom. And I imagine they lay awake almost every night talking about like, okay, what if we're in a ghost town and we're being chased by a mugger? A mugger? Well, not a mugger, like a bandit. Yeah. Survival go, techniques. A, B, C. What do you do? Yeah. They... The loose tourniquet? They invented The loose that. tourniquet? <laughs> loose tourniquet. Because regular tourniquets are uncomfortably tight. So you do a loose tourniquet. It feels like isn't a tourniquet. <laughs> no, not so much. They find the gully where the plane is supposed to have crashed. They find the wreckage of the plane and they start looking around for a cave where the guy would have buried the gold. And they find a cave and in the back of the cave, they can see another, like clearly a mine. It's a man-made tunnel in the back. And they enter the cave and guess what happens? Wolves. Wolves! The wolves come! The wolves. That was going to be my answer to every guessing part of this occasion. Was casinos? Wolves, actually. Oh, was then the it's wolves? It's got to be the wolves because of the illustration that they really tipped their hand with that first illustration. You know the boys get surrounded by wolves at some point. The wolf pack seemed to sense that its victims were trying to escape. 
Joe played the beam slowly back and forth while Frank used his. The wolves slunk restlessly to and fro. Their lolling tongues gave them a wickedly grinning appearance, but they were wary of the light. It was clear that the flashlights could not hold the beasts at bay for long. As the wolves paced back and forth, the circle was being drawn gradually tighter. Watch it! Joe exclaimed suddenly. The leader of the pack was advancing straight toward Frank, who stabbed his light full into the wolf's greenish eyes. A vicious growl issued from its throat. That's pretty good. Joe looked around desperately and snatched up a heavy jagged stone. He hurled it with all its might at the wolf. The rock hit the beast squarely in the head and the wolf collapsed with blood oozing from the wound. I think they killed a wolf because after that, the rest of the pack just surrounds the thing and it's enough to distract. It feels like suddenly their rips have been kind of tarnished. They killed a they wolf. They just killed a wolf. Yeah, I mean, it was going to kill them. I guess it was self-defense. But they run to the back down that tunnel that they saw with the wolves behind them. And fall through the ground. Right, which you do. Sinkhole. Yeah, at sinkhole. the end of it. They fall into a mine shaft because you shouldn't go around mine shafts. And right where they fall is where the treasure is buried. They dig it up. And as soon as they find it, guess who comes out from behind like a rock? Bar Dawson? No, Fenton. Big Al. Big Al, Weird Al himself? Yeah, comes out uh, and he's got a gun. And he's like, all right, thanks for finding the treasure, boys. Now I'm going to kill you. He does a whole confession, like he tells him everything right. at gunpoint. I never understood that. They have a great psychic brother moment. They share eye contact, and they both click their lights off, their flashlights off. Ooh, that's so very goes, Beckett. Yeah, so it goes totally black, and then Frank lunges at the armed gunman, hits him, uh, throws him off balance. Joe goes to hit him. Big Al gets Joe by the throat and has Joe down to the ground. Frank goes to pull him off. Big Al punches Frank in the face hard enough to daze him and i think bloody his nose but while he's doing that joe grabs a shovel and manages to hit big al hard enough in the head that it completely lays him out flat amnesia probably amnesia hard you would think big time they tie him up they load him and the gold onto their horses and they're riding back to town and while they're doing it while he's draped over the back of their horse big al is just telling them everything like his whole life story and i expect the boys to be like al we don't care Right. This is not what the Hardy Boys are here for. They're interested in the arrest. We have the gold. And they we want have the, the collar. Yeah, exactly. Know? We got the collar. We don't need the story. As they load him up, they're loading him back to town. And right as they crest the hill, they see all of the, you know, the sheriff and all the good guys. Fenton's still back at home, but they all load him up and they take the guy into custody. And so they find the treasure. They arrest the bad guy. They meet the cops. The cops take the bad guy mystery over. Right. It's like the job is complete. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's nothing left. Speaking of plans, I wonder what Mike Onslow's will be when he learns he's rich. Frank mused. Joe chuckled. Let's phone him first thing in the morning and find out. I'd give a mint to see Aunt Gertrude's face when she hears about the gold. The... I'm glad that Gertrude got back in there. I know, but the last sentences of these books are always really weird. Like, what is that? Aunt Gertrude, has she had a bad attitude about wealth? Yeah, it's she's just saucy. She's got a tart tongue. Yeah. So she's going to say something, and it's going to be witty, but we'll never hear it. So what did you think of the end of the book? Was it how you expected? I I feel like I didn't expect... I, I guess the wolves still kind of come out of nowhere for me. I knew the illustration was there. It's Life the is very wolves. end of the book. Life is wolves circling. Life now. is wolves, yeah. There's a lot of wolves circling metaphorically in this book. I feel like it's time to do our final check-in. We definitely have treasure, because what right. would you call four that large bags of gold? Mrs. Hardy did not leave the house. No. There was no pie. I feel like they trespassed. 
I don't think I have a route to win here on this board. I don't think I do either. It's a draw. It's a draw. One of these tragic no-win bingo games. I'd give a mint to hear what Aunt Gertrude would say when she finds out we had a draw. You want to talk a little bit about the chapters. I just felt like every chapter title is, was enough for a whole book. Do you want to read some of them? Or a movie. Danger in the Fog. A Suspicious Summons. Shortcut to Peril. A Painted Warning. The Strange Blue Light. Ghost Music. A Rooftop Struggle. Tommy Knockers. The Crowbar Clue. Ambush Trail. Shadow of the Bear. Big Al's Orders. A Fight in the Dark. The Broken Knife. Underground Chase. Cliff Hideaway. The Secret Listener. North from Lone Tree. Wolf Prey. Windy Peak Prisoner. Are there more? No, that's it. Oh, Lord. There are a lot of chapters in there. You know a lot of kids were bragging about their chapter books with this crap. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Jess. Thank you, Charles. It was a lot of fun having you. I learned a lot. I'm sure you did. Each episode, we have one of our favorite local bartenders mix us up a custom cocktail to sip while we read. Today's cocktail is provided by Priscilla Jerez at Tui's Off Colfax. Hey guys, I am here at Tui's Off Colfax with Priscilla Jerez. Priscilla, what's your story? Tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, I have been a bartender at Tui's now for seven years. I'm the general manager here, and I've been bartending well over a decade and in the industry for a really long time. What's your favorite thing about bartending? I love being able to be in control of my own schedule for the most part. It's fun. I get to see a lot of people and friends and make money at the same time. It's awesome. My favorite thing was always making drinks. And I think from the drink that you made us today, it's clear that you also very much enjoy the crafting of cocktails, because this is fabulous. What's the history of Tui's? Tui's actually is named after the owner's cat. Passed away. We have a cocktail menu inside dedicated to Tui, the cat, which is what this drink is actually on. We opened nine years in October. She had the cat for 17 years, I believe. That's an old cat. Yeah, it's an old cat, and she passed away like a year before the bar opened, so that's where Tui's came from. That's fantastic. I like the idea of a bar built in honor of a, of a dead pet. I think there are a lot worse things you can do in honor of a dead pet. I mean, this is Tui's off Colfax. What do you like about being here? Well, I mean, the name in itself, Tui's off Colfax, it's perfect. Colfax is a crazy road. A lot of foot traffic, a lot of chaos, especially on the weekends. We're slightly off that path, so the people in the neighborhood feel comfortable having this, like, neighborhood dive bar to hang out in. But at the same time, you know, we're we're popular, but just far enough away to kind of keep some of the tourists away, which, not that we mind it, but the, the locals prefer it. It's like, almost like a hidden gem to some, and then home to others. It is almost Tui's on Colfax. But, yeah, I like that you have this little bit of distance. It makes it slightly more peaceful. We are right now sitting in a beautiful outdoor patio area surrounded by wonderful people who are just, like, casually listening to us record this interview. You obviously have great locals. No, they're all really laid back. I mean, none of them are even, like, up in our face trying to be a part of it. They just look over and, like, oh, that looks cool, whatever. They just want to get drunk and relax and have fun. That's a great thing. That's our favorite thing. Get drunk, solve mysteries. Exactly. So we have this absolutely delicious cocktail. Can you tell me a little bit about how you made it? Uh, well, I came up with the idea. Again, our cocktail menu recently came out. It's dedicated to Chewies, and it's um, an obituary-themed cocktail. Our menus are all designed by the entire staff, like them all to be a part of it. So everyone got their choice of drinks to make, whatever ingredients, whatever spirit they wanted to use. This was one of mine. Um, the Crypt Keeper is actually what it's called. 
I love it. That is a perfect name. <laughs> it was uh, inspired by a good friend of mine, Sky James, which actually happens to be here. He's a rad tattooer over at Think Tank. He comes in here all the time, great regular and friend. So the drink was for him. In the drink is a lemon gin, which is a Malfi gin. Makes it a little bit easier to kind of take down. Gin's a hard liquor for a lot of people. It doesn't, it doesn't have so much of that piney-ness that most gin has because of the juniper. A little bit of lemon bitters in there. The fun part that I like is the yellow chartreuse. A little bit of ginger liqueur. So it's kind of like a spring in the summer cocktail, I think. Easy to knock back. I've been trying to teach myself to drink more and more gin. It's not easy. We're all supposed to be drinking more gin and more vermouth. I find it difficult to drink either, but uh, but we should all try harder. We should all do our best. I always go with sweetness. That's just a preference that I have. I feel like it, it's easier for me to do harder drinks if I have a couple sweet drinks first. It's like having your dessert before your dinner. All right, I'm going to take a sip from this. Sweet is right. Sweet is definitely where it starts. It does have a good burn to it. I like all the different lemon hints, and I really like that yellow chartreuse. And it's that herbaceousness. It is not as much of a punch as the green chartreuse, but you balanced it really, really well with the ginger, which I wouldn't have expected. It's delicious. And I like the syrupy consistency. I love chartreuse. It's uh, not always that easy to drink chartreuse as much as I try to, but if I can mix it in cocktails, I, I feel it later and I like that. I mean, it's not something I get to use that often. People come in for shots of green chartreuse all the time. Um, I feel like Late at night, industry folks will come in and they will do a shot of green chartreuse to kind of cross them over into the drunken state they prefer to be in. Yellow chartreuse kind of just hangs out here more, so I really wanted to get a chance to bring that into some cocktails. Uh, you had something that you want to talk about coming up at Tui's? Well, on top of making drinks and uh, working here, I also DJ here with another bartender, Sunshine. She's inside right now. We have a monthly party called Bloodstains where we actually get behind the bar and take turns playing music along with our friend Tara Nichols, a local tattooer at Landmark. And it's a big party on August 19th, so you should come out if you're in the neighborhood. So between making drinks, we play music too. There's a lot of bloodstained, dead cat, crib keeper. I feel like there's a, there's a really gothic vibe to the place, which is great because there's a lot of fake ghosts and... Next door... There are a lot of ghost stories that have followed Kinga's and an underground passage that goes down to the Brown Palace. And we all know the Brown Palace is extremely haunted. So the bar next door connects with Tui's, this whole building, and runs downtown. We've had customers come up and say that we've had hauntings, that they've felt a presence in our back hallway. We've heard the same thing about next door from old bartenders and customers. It's definitely an eerie feeling. We're so close to Cheeseman Park that we all know is Poltergeist Park is what I call it. So a lot of the drinks on, the, I mean, the whole menu are based off of that. It's kind of our inside joke that still freaks us out, you know, so it gets weird. This is fantastic. We play bingo when we read the Hardy Boys books, and we mark off things like ghosts, secret passageways. Yeah. I feel like just listening to what you just said, we could probably get a bingo. <laughs> Priscilla, it was wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. The Hardy Boys Drink Book Podcast is produced by Jack and Charles Wefson. Our music is provided by Danny Overby at Round 2 Production. Our photography and design are provided by Kristen Holstrom. Special thanks to Peggy Moser, Priscilla Jerez at Tui's Off Colfax, and their network. If you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you have any thoughts or drunken fan theories, please contact us at hardyboysdrinkbook at gmail.com. Or you can find us at hardyboysdrinkbook.com. Make sure to tune in next time for a very secret, super secret, special secret episode.